On this edition of Thinking Biblically, I'm going to answer the question, what is truth? Welcome to Thinking Biblically. My name is Alan Gilman. Before we get into this week's topic, uh, I'd want to remind everybody to please subscribe and review and, and like and, and all those good things to um, help uh, get this podcast uh, before other people as much as possible. Also, feel free to comment. Uh, you could also email me at comments at thinkingbiblically.org. So I, I want to look at the question, is there such a thing as truth, or is it just a matter of perspective, personal taste, and feelings? Um, many say that we live in a post-truth world, and this is associated with the philosophy of postmodernism, and we're not going to get into that in that fully, but it, it all comes down to in the postmodern way of thinking is there's no actual meaning to life except what you and I give to it or get from it. We, it's the meaning that we give to life that is the only meaning that, that we have. Um, now, that would make sense if we simply live in a what would be called a naturalistic or a materialistic world where there's only the, the live in a universe that is nothing but molecules banging up against each other. And somehow, through some freak of nature, uh, we have the kind of life that we live. And But when you go down that route, all, all you're left with is having to make up meaning. And that is the way a lot of people live. But is that really what what life is? Is there a, is there a truth that is at the core of our existence and a truth that, that helps to define what life is all about? But for a lot of people, everything is simply perspective. It's the how we see life is the way life is for us. And then how life is for, for me is going to be different from how life is for you. And from there, we get ideas such as there's my truth, what's true for me isn't necessarily true for you. I have my truth, you have your truth. And um, one of the reasons why I'm ad addressing this on thinking biblically is, besides, I, would, you know, I don't know everyone who is who's watching or listening to this and very happy to interact with people, whether you believe the Bible or you don't believe the Bible. Um, but even for people who believe the Bible, I have an impression that more and more people are buying into this sort of thing, that all we really have is perspective. And, and even if there is an actual truth out there to be known, if there is, you and I don't really have access to that truth. This is not really a new thing. We uh, see an interesting interaction along these lines between Yeshua and the Roman governor, Pontius Pilate, when Pilate was interrogating him pr uh, prior to him giving Yeshua over to be executed. Uh, Yeshua makes this statement in John 18, uh, verses, verse 37. He says, I've come into the world to bear witness to the truth. Everyone who's of the truth listens to my voice. Pilate responds to this by saying, what is truth? Pilate said to him, what is truth? So Yeshua is appealing to truth as if it's something that exists so outside there, outside of ourselves. Um, but for Pilate, uh, his viewpoint is that truth is actually arbitrary. And so in the, the Roman mind at the time, it was truth was derived from power. They were in charge. And in, to him, 
Truth is whatever he made it. It was whatever Rome made it. He saw himself in that place where he could establish what was what was right, what was wrong, what would be. He believed he, he had Yeshua's life in his hands. And there's more to their interaction where Yeshua challenges that. But that viewpoint, that idea that, that uh, might makes right, is still alive and well and has been all these centuries where um, even if there is some sort of objective truth, the idea that it, either we can't access it um, or even if it's accessible, it doesn't really matter because when you get to what happens between between people, we have other dynamics that are at play. And, and from what I could tell, we're seeing that more and more where people that are in power are simply making up what they think is best for everyone. And, and I know we, we've been hearing, especially in these past couple of years of COVID, this whole thing of follow the science. Well, science scientists actually disagree with the science, which is really how science works. But at the same time, we have the media, we have politicians speaking as if they have a grasp of the way things really are, and everybody has to follow it, when actually they are imposing their own opinion uh, based on a gathering of perhaps some facts, probably not some facts, this sort of thing, and, and then imposing that. And somehow they think they're in the place of, of higher knowledge that they can impose upon other people. Now, sadly, as far as I, I'm concerned, uh, I think a lot of people are simply going along with this, and many people feel comfortable simply on the basis of, well, this is what the majority thinks. And my understanding, uh, too, and many, many weeks ago, I've been doing Thinking Biblically now for almost a year, and it was near the, the beginning of, of, of me doing this, um, uh, we had a discussion uh, about about government and uh, the idea that government's ruling by basically um, based on popular opinion. They see where the polls are at, and then they govern on the basis of what the majority thinks. Uh, and so for many people, that's where truth comes from. That's where the, what is right comes from. If the majority thinks that, there's a confusion uh, about living in a democratic society. We're supposed to have rule by the majority of the people kind of idea, never mind the fact that here we are in Canada and our government uh, was brought in by quite a minority of the people. I, I won't get into that. But still, there's a sense that the people elected to the government, uh, the government is gauging what people think about different things, and they're navigating life and imposing various things based on people's own perspective. And then that becomes the truth. It's not, it's not really as much that there's a truth out there to be discovered, and whether one people understands the truth or millions of people understand the truth, uh, it's it's not about the truth. It's what people think and what they think what they think is best, and then that becomes the the truth by which we are we are called to live. And, and when you think that way, there there isn't really a truth that's out there. It's not what Yeshua was saying, where he was saying that he, he came to bear witness to the truth. When you bear witness to something, there's you, the witness, and there's that other thing. It's not about self. It's not about the, the superiority of an opinion. And one might think, well, when it comes to Yeshua, his opinion should be superior, and I believe his, his opinion is superior, but it's not really an opinion that he has. A, you know, opinion is a personal perspective on something. It might be based on on 
on some things that have been established, maybe not. It's a personal opinion. But Yeshua actually represents something greater. We're going to get to that closer to the end of our time, uh, how he represents the truth. Uh, but notice in his, his statement that he came to bear witness to something, that in a sense, that was outside of himself, that there is a, a truth out there uh, for people to connect with. And, and he was saying that those who are of this thing called the truth would actually resonate with him. They would recognize. And, and it's it's like if we're for truth, if you're for truth and I'm for truth and somebody else is for truth, the understanding here is that we should all uh, be in sync together. Uh, but for that to for that to to be there has to be a truth outside of all of us that has nothing to do with our personal preferences our personal perspectives and all the rest uh, but for for pilot he represents a viewpoint that that since truth is arbitrary as i was saying then it's power that defines it truth is what rome in this case says that it is and so therefore truth you know we could talk about truth but it's you know Whose truth are we going to impose upon one another? Um, so what, what I what I want to do is I want to look at what this thing truth really is. Uh, one conclusion that many people have come to, and this is the whole mo- postmodern thing, is there isn't this truth that's truly outside of us. Or if there is a truth outside of us, we can't really access it anyway. So for all intents and purposes, we must live as if there is no actual truth. Uh, but um, I want to explain to you, as best as I can understand, um, how the Bible understands truth. And I'm not talking about the truths of the Bible, where the, you know it, you know we might say, oh, the Bible's true, therefore the various things that it asserts are themselves true. And so it says this about um, how to live. It says this about the nature of human beings. And, and it does do that. And so we have the truths that the Bible expresses. But what I want to do is I want to grapple with the idea of what truth actually is. And one of the, I had an aha, and it had to do with a, a show that uh, my wife and I were watching. And, and this is how I what, it really became clear to me what truth really is. And if you still don't understand what I'm trying to get at, I think it'll become clear in a moment. But um, there is a hit Israeli uh, TV show called Shtisel. Uh, there's three seasons worth. Um, and we watched it on Netflix um, over a period of time. And uh, it's the story of an extended Haredi family. Uh, Haredi is the Hebrew term to refer to what is often called as ultra-Orthodox. And um, those are our Jewish people. You've seen them with the, sometimes certain of the Haredi groups wear long black coats and they have side curls and 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 so on. And they're often called ultra-Orthodox. And I won't get into the whys and wherefores of that. But it's the story of an extended uh, a Haredi family uh, in Jerusalem and their lives. And it's actually, they call it, according to Wikipedia, it's a drama. But it's actually more of a soap opera. Now, I don't know a lot about soap operas. But it, it's a, we're given a window into the complexities of this extended family's lives. And my understanding is a hit series in in Israel, um, and it, it's quite delightful. It, it's also quite melancholy. I never even used the word melancholy, but as as the series developed, it's all I could think of. Because it's, it's, it's pretty sad, but it's kind of delightful, and it's interesting, and it's different. 
And uh, I don't know if it's going to be your cup of tea, but uh, my wife and I enjoyed it. But one of the reasons why we enjoyed it is because it's uh, it's Hebrew and Yiddish. Uh, many Haredi groups uh, speak Yiddish, and often when the older folks uh, are speaking to each other, they'll switch from Hebrew to Yiddish. So most of the dialogue is in Hebrew. Some of it is in Yiddish with English subtitles. Um, and so uh, Robin and I both know a smattering of Hebrew and Yiddish, uh, not enough to, to hold a, a real conversation, but enough to catch many words. And so with the help of the subtitles, and this is about truth, I'm getting there. With the help of the subtitles, uh, we're able to follow some of the Hebrew and Yiddish words. And so because we know some of those Hebrew and Yiddish words, I, it's interesting how they often will what the subtitles will say because sometimes they're summarizing i've noticed this too when, when i i like to use closed captioning or subtitles when i when i watch things and and some shows you get word for word you get all the armors and all the rest and uh, other other shows sometimes they rearrange the words and, and this sort of thing um and when, so when you do translation you often can't necessarily capture yeah you don't want to capture word for word I don't want to get on to that bunny trail because I want to come back to, I brought up recently, I want to, I want to get to some things about Bible translation, but that, that's going to have to wait. Anyway, so we're, we're watching and listening and um, noticed more than once that when a character is asked about or somebody says something and the other character goes, really? You know, the person makes a statement, the other person goes, really? Maybe not with that tone. And they're talking. They're they're talking in, in in Hebrew. They're not talking in in English. They're talking Hebrew. I get Hebrew with a Hebrew accent, not English with a Hebrew accent. But anyway, they say really. The word in Hebrew is emet. I guess it's emet. <laughs> um, and emet. So the Hebrew that whoever's doing the translating is translating as really because that would be that the essence. So you know, it's going to snow tomorrow. Not that ever happened in the show. It's going to snow tomorrow. Really? Um, it's emet. Emet? And emet is the Hebrew word for truth. And so, more literally, it's going to snow tomorrow. Truth? Which, we wouldn't say it like that. We might say, is that true? But we'll often say, really? And when, I saw that a few times, and it finally connected. That, the word, the tr truth, is reality. And this is a problem I find with the English language. English has so many synonyms for, for words. I wonder if, does synonym have a synonym? English has so many synonyms. So you could use, when, when you're writing, and often in English, I ran into this. I was doing some articles for a Messianic newspaper called the Messianic Times some years ago. It's about, I guess, nine, ten years ago now. After I wrote for them before. Um, and the particular editor at the time was really, really keen on not repeating words. Um, now, some words like the and of and uh, not uh, uh, like an, um, you're going to have to repeat. But some of the other words, uh, they were very concerned that there was very low to no repetition of words. Uh, I found uh, something online that actually I was able to put my article into it, and it would give me the occurrences of each and every word in my article. And so that would catch 
the repeated words and I'd go through it and I would I would try to find a synonym uh, for for certain words that I was repeating too often and I'd get pretty anal about that and 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 try to like try to do it so that words don't get repeated at all it's very very difficult uh so english has that hebrew much less so much less so and and so um so english lends itself to using different words that all make the same may all mean the same thing and some of my favorites when it comes to bible teaching is for example the word faith so both in Hebrew, in the, in the Hebrew Scriptures, and in the New Covenant writings, the New Testament, the words for faith also mean belief, also mean trust. And I've seen how when we use the word trust, it, it gives a different kind, it has a different kind of impact and even meaning to people. Now, actually, they do mean the same thing, faith, belief, and trust. But somehow, both belief and faith, for a lot of people, it's something that's more in the mind. It's this conceptual thing about, oh, I think I, I kind of agree with that. But when we say trust, there's more of a sense of, of a more holistic understanding of something that I agree with in my mind, and I will do it with my life. So maybe you've seen the illustration of, you know, do, do you have faith in this chair? That was, we wouldn't normally say something like that. But, you know, do you have faith in this chair? Meaning, do you believe it will hold your weight? It's one thing to sit far away from it and go, yeah, I have faith in that chair. It's another thing to, to sit in the chair. When you sit in the chair, that's, you're, you're expressing your trust in that chair. And so I find it helpful to try to get at some of these at some of these meanings and the English language, and you'll find that you'll look in Bible translations and they'll choose these different synonyms, um, which in English maybe even intentionally sometimes give different kinds of impressions, but miss the core meaning. Another one is the word salvation. Did you know that salvation simply means rescue, and sometimes it's related to physical healing. We see that especially in the New Testament. Look that up sometime. That the word for saved sometimes refers to someone's being healed from a condition. It all has to do with a sense of being rescued. And so when, when I was 19 and I came to know God through Yeshua for the first time, God rescued me. And there's something that you think about that for a while and that what it means we've been rescued as opposed to being saved. What is that? Saved and, and the word salvation, it sounds more spiritual, it sounds more mystical, it sounds less material. When, when, when the Bible speaks about rescue, often translated salvation, it's referring to the whole self, not just some certain part of us that's lost, that needs, uh, needs to be saved, um, this sort of idea. So it's the same thing with this word emet in Hebrew, uh, where it Emet, truth, also means reality, because reality and truth are actually the exact same thing. But for a lot of us, when we talk about things being true, somehow that's more about something that's happening in our minds, about what we think. I think that's true. Oh, that's true. Uh, really? Uh, that's true. Uh, I, I think that's true. Um, and you might think, so you might 
not think it's true and I think it's true and um and it becomes it takes on this idea of personal perspective and almost opinion. It's my opinion, I think it's true. Others may not think it's true. You don't have to agree with me. I think this is true. Um, but actually, the idea of truth, biblically speaking, I'm not talking about how you use the word truth. I'm talking about biblically speaking, the idea of truth um, is 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 emmet, and and it captures this idea of reality that this reality when we talk about truth we're talking about how things really are so if um you 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 come in from outside and i see that you're soaking wet and i go is it raining outside and you say yes then that is what is true if it's really raining. Like maybe the person lied. They don't want to tell me that actually they went into the car wash and they left the windows down and that's why they're soaked. But now if that's what really happened and that is what is true. That's the reality. The reality of the situation is they got soaked by the car wash. But the reality of the situation might be that they were out in the rain. And if it's still raining and I ask somebody, is it raining? And they tell me that it's raining, that that is what is true because that is what is really happening. So truth is reality. Reality is truth. Now, when we talk about um, is there truth, uh, pursuing truth, so what that is, biblically speaking, is an is a journey, a process whereby we're seeking to establish what really is. Truth is the is the discovery of how things really are, what they really are, and all the rest of it. Now, when we talk about um, when we talk about truth, and when Pilate says, "What is truth?" They're not simply talking about whether it's raining or not. I was thinking about this before. Like a, a lot of us would agree, even those who people when people talk about you have your truth, I have my truth. I I, I believe I have faith that I trust. That if we're talking about the score of the of the ball game from last night, a particular game that we're referring to, um, and the final score was three to two, uh, we could agree that it's possible to know that that too can, of course, the communication of 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 that truth uh, can uh, be obscured. Uh, people can get it wrong. People could lie. But there is a at there, we could agree that there was an actual ball game where people played, and there was a score, and there's a score that's true, um, and um, and that, and that is kind of interesting. It's possible, like when you you may have read something um, online about this game, and maybe there was a typo, and there was some, and it it was wrong. Well, hopefully, there is a way to find out what the truth really is. What was the reality of that score? Now. That kind of truth is relatively easy. I've already kind of messed that up because we can get even those those more specific type of facts. Um, uh, we can get those wrong too. But uh, by and large, there's things like that raining. Is it raining outside? Is it windy? And this sort of thing. We hopefully could establish that uh, fairly easily and we could agree upon those uh, statements of reality pretty easily. But then there's uh, there are bigger ones, such as what is 
is there meaning to life? And if there is meaning to life, what is that meaning? What's our role to play in the world? What's the purpose of human beings? Of course, if you're a pure naturalist, human beings don't have any meaning, and there's no there's no way to discover that meaning. And so uh, there's other approaches on how to live. Uh, but if there really is a truth, the kind of truth that Yeshua was talking about to Pilate, the kind of truth that he rejected, then there really is... We're talking about a reality that's discoverable. We're not talking about our opinion on that reality. We're talking about that which really is. And the Bible claims, and I believe that claim is correct, to reflect reality. So when we talk about the Bible being true, as I mentioned earlier, we're not just talking about the truths that are contained in the Bible. The Bible contains truths statements that are true it's more than that the bible actually reflects how things really are the bible reveals to us the way life really is and it it does that by um, revealing to us that life has been designed by god that and i've mentioned this other other times that that um, God created the world on purpose and for a purpose. And we discover that, we discover that God intentionally designed the universe that we live in. And the Bible teaches us what that design is for, what its purpose really is. And uh, and so the Bible gives us both you know, basic issues about life, and in its genius, the genius of how God inspired the scriptures, it also draws us into the most complex issues of life in a complex sort of way. We because we live life, life is complex, and it's one of the things I love about the Bible. The Bible reflects the complexity of life. Um, that's why it can be confusing, um, because it is complex. A lot of us, because of the way that we're told the Bible teaches truth, we often give the impression that those truths are are simple, and they're simple to understand. But, but they're not that simple. But neither is life. It's one of the things I love about the Scriptures, is because it reflects the complexity of life in a complex type of way. We are complex. We're complex beings living in a complex world, in a complex universe. Why wouldn't the Bible be complex? This is one of the things that I try to push against uh, in, in, in my own Bible teaching is, is I push against simplistic, formulaic approaches to, to Bible. Uh, because the Bible itself is not simplistic. Well, some people think, well, it's, you know, some people, they, because of, they don't understand complexity, and so we need to simplify the Bible for them, we'll even do it for children. I don't believe that we need to do that for children. I, I, I teach uh, two Bible classes, a 5-6 Bible class and a 7-8 Bible class here in Ottawa, and I have found that children can understand very complex, difficult uh, subjects, as long as the vocabulary that I use, they can understand. If we're using words that people, 
whoever they are, children or others, we're using words people don't understand, then they're going to think that we're what we're trying to tell them is also hard to understand. But when we use words that they understand and then maybe explain the more difficult words as needed, it's amazing how people, children and adults, can, can grasp this kind of complexity because they live in a complex world. They live in, in a world of, of tension and supposed contradiction and what's called nuance where, where, where things aren't completely right you know, right versus wrong kind of thing there's sometimes you have to weigh issues and 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 see how complex situations can be and and sometimes we need great wisdom that's what solomon taught read proverbs there's supposed to dig for wisdom like hidden treasure it could be hard work and i and i find even children can do some of that hard work they stop and they think about it and they get challenged and pushed with regard to what's really going on here what's and when we look at the bible what's really being said here and how is it being said are there things that we could learn uh, about even how this is confusing and, and it, some things in the bible are i would say are intentionally confusing they, there can be things that are mind-blowing and there's nothing wrong with that because god should blow our minds god's wisdom god's greatness how god th does things why god does things how he works with different people this is not all straightforward and so if 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 we're going to get to know this god and get to learn to live the kind of life god wants us to live get ready for great complexity and so the bible the bible um, has all that complexity and draws us in to in into it and so the way we're going to discover reality truth we need to be ready for that complexity um and so what the bible gives us the bible gives us the way to navigate life it it behaves like a map Again, not always straightforward sometimes hard to understand but that's what it's providing for us and and if we don't go by the, the map of God's word, we are most likely living by some other map. And so, um, whoever we are, if we're not connected and informed and guided by what the Bible teaches concerning reality, truth, we are going to live by our own truth. And I want to, I want to emphasize this thing, this thing again, if it's not clear. The, when the Bible reflects truth, reveals truth, teaches truth, it's, it's not giving its own perspective. This is not just God's perspective as if God himself also has his own truth. And sometimes we treat it that way. So that God, uh, we might be reading something about uh, what God says about morality, about um, sexuality, about human relationships, and we don't like it. We don't agree with it. Now, sometimes we're not understanding what is really being said. And this is where the Bible is not always straightforward. And some people are very offended by what they think the Bible says or what somebody taught about the Bible as opposed to what the Bible really says. But let's say somehow we're seeing what the Bible really says about something and we don't like it. 
Now, some would go, well, I don't like it, but that's that's God's opinion, and uh, I want to serve God, and so I'll go by what he says. It's sort of like his house, his rules. I don't like it, but I'm going to do what he says because God's boss, this sort of idea. And there is some truth there. He is Lord. He has every right to tell us what to do. And if we were, if we were smart, we're going to listen to what God says. But I want to take it a little further. When we encounter things in God's Word that we're uncomfortable with, and and we're actually encountering with what it really encountering what it really says, we're not just dealing with God's opinion on the thing. What God has given us in His Word is how to relate to reality. So when He tells us how to behave, it's because He understands how best human beings should live, the best way to do relationship, the best way to express sexuality, the best way to do justice, the best way to do work in business, the best way to do punishment, the best way to raise children, the best way to whatever it is. All this wisdom that we can mine in the Bible is wisdom based on reality not just some superior opinion. And as I said earlier, so when Yeshua speaks, that's why he's not giving opinion as much as he's revealing the way things really are. And that's what we encounter in the Bible. Now, I, I didn't start life, um, none of us actually, as babies do we start life with this built-in GPS system and knowing how to live properly. And uh, and, and most people grow up and and somehow we have inherited a bad map of life. And uh, part of the bad map that I uh, inherited, uh, I was taught by my father, he used to tell me and told his kids, money makes the world go round. And he really believed that. That's what he trusted in. That's where his faith was. He believed that money made the world go round. And because According to him, we didn't have enough money. He was miserable, and it made all of us miserable, and also created an idea of great anxiety in me because there was the idea that if we, if you didn't have enough money, then you couldn't be happy. You couldn't do the things that, well, in most cases, wanted to do, but even needed to do because we lacked money. Now, I always have a little bit of trouble when I share with with general audiences anything to do with money because we're Jewish. And every time I bring up money in, in a negative way or a positive way, people start to, not maybe not you, but people start to uh, react to Jewish people and money. Oh, they're so obsessed about money. Uh, uh, it got to the point where my wife told me, don't tell other people, non-Jews, if, if uh, we've got a deal somewhere uh, because they react. Oh, you're Jewish, money, and you, you know, you know how to find deals and this sort of thing. And it, because part of it seems to me uh, most people believe what my father taught us, that money makes the world go round. Just look how people act. Look what's in the news. Look, look how our governments behave and how much at the core of everything is about money and about our stuff. It's not, it's not a Jewish thing, it's a people thing. And so if, if you, have, are, every time, if, if someone like me, or and if you know a Jewish person and they bring up money and all of a sudden, you start thinking it's because you're Jewish. Maybe, buddy, it's time to look in the mirror. Maybe it's time to look in the mirror. And it's interesting how God, 
we discovered that you know the Bible is like a mirror. And maybe this is one of the reasons why people have trouble with the reality it reflects. Because the mirror that the Bible provides, just change the metaphor from map to mirror, but bear with me for a moment. That mirror, you know, have you maybe you've been in a fun house or you have a cheap mirror and you don't like how you look in that mirror. Oh, that mirror makes me fat. You know that one? So you go to a better mirror that makes you look better. We do that with life. We prefer the mirrors that make us feel better. And often the reflection of ourselves that we see in the Bible, we don't like that. We don't like that version of us. But that's the version of us that we need to address. Because if we're reading the Bible properly, and I'm not saying that everything we understand about the Bible is correct and how everybody teaches it is correct. But what the Bible provides for us is a rea- the true reality check of who we really are. Let's go back to the map. map So I was guided by my father to put money at the core of my existence. And, and uh, so I also, and I was taught more by my mother that if I got sick, that I was probably going to die. I almost died when I was six months old. So there's some connection to that. But a lot of it was her own anxiety. And I learned to be very afraid of sickness. So lack of money, any kind of struggle with help meant, you know, danger, danger, be scared, be scared. And and so life for me was something to be feared. It was not something to be lived. Um, and then later on, the other maps that I would borrow, and you know, here's how to live, you know, things about this centrality of sex or the need to be popular um, or, the, or you know, the power, if you only you can have power and control others and yourself. And of course, then there's desire. And today, you know, desires like everything, you know, what do you want? And, what, and, and, and you need to get in touch with your desires and what you desire. That's who you are. Um, and, and these are all maps. These are maps on how to live. But this is not... Those are all bad maps. They will take you. Uh, they will take you over cliffs. They will run you into dead ends and to brick walls. Unlike the scriptures that actually reveal reality, both in what it says and how it says it. Another illustration that came to mind as I was preparing is for a lot of us, uh, what we've been given in life is a recipe. You know, here's a recipe for life. But there's a typo in the title. So it's like, you know, the title says chocolate cake, but the recipe is for Boston cream pie. Now that wouldn't actually be that bad, but it could be something else. You could run with the illustration. You get what I mean? A lot of us are baking things or cooking things thinking that it's going to lead to success, life, love, goodness, peace, but that is actually we are following a recipe for disaster. And what we have in the scripture, some people are expecting a well-laid-out map or a recipe, you know, follow this formula. Bible doesn't do. Um, it, does, it doesn't provide us with truth in that way. It draws us in to its complexity and helps us to live an effective godly life within that complexity. 
Now, one of the things about biblical truth, uh, I mentioned earlier, the Bible's not just about truths, lists of truths, that if we would just accept these truths, then life's going to be okay. It's way more complicated than that. And part of that complexity is that at the core of Bible truth is a relationship with God. Um, and as part of that is we need to relate to Bible on his own terms. And part of that is having that personal relationship with him. You're probably aware of the verse, John 14, 6, where Yeshua said, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Now, a lot of people, when we want to talk about truth, they want to park here. And they want to park on this verse, on, in, in a particular way. That Yeshua is saying that he is the truth. And then you'll hear people talk about, well, truth is a person, and it's Yeshua. And there's certainly truth about that. There's truth, yes, truth. There's truth about him being the truth. But I find that some of the ways that we focus on Yeshua or believe that we are honoring him by making him so center to a concept like what is truth we get to this, we talk about truth for a while, and then we kind of draw it to a close by saying, Yeshua is the truth. Truth is a person. And that kind of ends the, ends the discussion, ends the topic. But I see it differently because I think the Bible teaches this differently. That the truth about truth really is that it's not that Yeshua completely encapsules truth and so that when we have Yeshua in our life we got we got truth and a story I don't think that's what it is I think that when we have Yeshua who is the truth that's just the beginning and he becomes the gateway into the fullness of God's truth and so he becomes the the key the guide the foundation the core in our exploration of the revealed truth and reality that we have in Scripture. And that begins by being in right relationship with God through Him, where we have confessed to God that we have blown it, that we have done wrong, that we are sinners, that we have fallen short of His standards, and that we look to him through his the gift of the giving of the Messiah who died for our wrongs and conquered death by rising from the dead, that um, through that, by coming to him in humility, we receive truth, the person of Yeshua, and now we have access to God's truth in his word and by his spirit so that we could grow in our understanding of what life is really all about. That through Yeshua, we connect with God's reality and we can live out that reality in all the ways that he wants us to. And so knowing truth is not just a mystical thing. There are mystical elements. There's things about it that when, when I said that prayer um, so many years ago, there's a change that God brought about in my life that he did through his son, the Messiah. But then was the transformation of, of my thinking and, and how to live based on his truth, bringing me in to understanding 
the reality of the world that he made and how I'm to relate to that world, to the people in that world, and to the God who made it all. What do you think? What do you think of, 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 of what I said? Please let me know. You can put it in the comments below, or you can email me directly at comments at thinkingbiblically.org. Again, don't forget to subscribe and review and share. Well, that's a big one. Please share with your friends, maybe your enemies too. They might really appreciate some of this as well. But until next time, this is Alan Gilman with Thinking Biblically.